There's a lot of excitement about 5G and the concept of near instant connectivity. But there's also a huge debate about the risks for this technology. One company is in the middle of both sides of the story. That's Huawei. We'll talk to them today about what the opportunities for 5G could be for you and your business. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. With me is my co-host, Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, we, we want to talk 5G today. A lot of discussion about this technology, this concept, what it means, um, a lot of excitement, but a lot of controversy. Sure. And just, I think, a lot of controversy, Huawei is sort of synonymous, a bit of a hot-button brand, especially in the last year or two under the Trump administration. So an interesting week for us to be talking to Huawei as the U.S. ushers in a new administration in the next few months. And also, you know, as we head into a new year, thinking about 5G and what the potential is, let's explain it, let's dig into it, let's understand what it means. Yeah, and, and taking a step back, um, I, I, like probably many of the of our audience, have lived through 2G and 3G <laughs> and 4G. And so, and, so, and, and so now we have 5G. You can uh, Let me bring you in, Paul. Paul Scanlon, Chief Technology Officer, uh, for Huawei's carrier business group, uh, you started laughing. So I'm sorry, because I can also remember it. <laughs> I used to have an analog phone, you know, Mustafa. <laughs> I remember my first mobile phone, and it could do some damage if you dropped it in the wrong place. That's what I remember. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Paul, you, you are Huawei's chief technology officer for the carrier business group. That's what handles telecoms. So you are the 5G man, the, fi- the guy who understands this. So maybe to take a start before we get into the this very interesting and complex story about 5G, how does it differ from the twos, the threes, and the fours? And please don't just say speed. <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's very interesting, um, Kelsey and, and Mustafa. But you know you just mentioned you know the word speed, right? And everybody says speed, speed, speed. I want to say it has nothing to do with speed. <laughs> I would like to suggest you know 5G is a platform for transformation a platform for transformation. So you asked just now, Mustafa, how is it different to 2, 3, and even 4G? Well, the first one is, let me give you some some examples. Would you like, I mean, the the three hottest topics are COVID, cybersecurity, okay, Huawei related to that, and probably the planet, right? How to save the planet, yeah? So would you like to save a billion tonnes of carbon dioxide? How, How do you save a billion tonnes of carbon dioxide? By trusting 5G. Now, you've never heard that before, right? You've just heard about speed. But if I was to, were to suggest to you that if we continue building 2, 3, and 4G networks over the next six years, five or six years, you will double the carbon footprint of the planet's contrib- the contribution from mobile networks to the planet, okay? You'll go from about 300 million tonnes to somewhere around 700 million tonnes. So that has nothing to do with speed, right? The second one is... We talk about faster, but do you know what it does to a telecom company? It improves their operating point. 5G is so efficient, so efficient. You can see, why does it reduce carbon footprint? Because the energy consumption compared with having to build more infrastructure like 4G or 3 and 2 is so much superior that you end up with this efficiency that allows you to save on energy. Okay, and that's and and also because the 
the site is the biggest cost to a telecom operator, the site, you know, the rental, the power consumption, the backhaul. This is the pain point of the telecom operator. 5G helps fix those things. I haven't mentioned speed. I haven't mentioned latency. I haven't mentioned massive machine, machine connections, okay? So the first thing it does is it fixes the operating point of a telecom operator. And that's why I said it's a platform for transformation. Because, you know, the frequencies, everybody's saying uh, things like um, because of the frequency, the spectrum, you'll have to have thousands more sites. But how would we build these thousands more sites? Well, you know, I don't know if you can remember, but if you ever saw it back in the old days, but a GSM mobile base station was about two metres tall, you know, 19-inch rack, 400 millimetres deep and, as I say, almost two metres tall. Yeah? Today... We put 5G, it looks like the footprint of a um, Wi-Fi router. Outdoor site looks about a couple of sizes of a shoebox. So that means you can deploy it in a different way. And that's why we could deploy it along the lampposts. We could deploy it along the power poles. And we don't have to build these huge, ugly towers necessarily. Yes, I mean, there are some instances where you will. So that's why I say it's a platform for transformation. And the starting point is it it improves the position of the operator. And if it improves the position of the operator, you expect benefits to flow to the customers. Okay, so I'm happy for the telecom companies and I'm happy for the aesthetics and the savings. But okay, in Huawei's home country of China, there's already 180 million 5G users. What is What does that actually look like? Is that changing everyone's daily lives yet? What is What are the trends? What are you seeing from this 5G use that we're already starting to see? And how will it evolve? It's a really good question, Kelsey. So let me let me give you a very good anecdote. I mean, I'm I'm in China. Actually, I'm I'm just out of China at the moment, but I was in China for the last um, sort of five or six months, right? Um, I actually chose to go back to China because um, it was actually safe during the COVID period. Believe it or not, since so since March, I was, you know, for four months from March or five months from March, I was in I was in China, and I can give you a couple of very pragmatic anecdotes. The first one is. Yes, we have 190 million or 180 million customers in China, but we built almost 700,000 4G sites. Let's put that in perspective. The, the city of Shenzhen, where, head, where Huawei is headquartered and where I, where, I, where I stay, we have about 15 million people. We have built almost 50,000 base stations, 50,000. If I'm not mistaken, that's more than Europe, probably more than Middle East. The primary use case we focused on in China was healthcare. You've heard the the stories that China built two hospitals in 10 days. Huawei built 5G networks in 72 hours. 72 hours. For the hospitals or or just generally? For the hospitals. No, very specifically for the hospitals in the environment around the hospital. But just bear with me. It's a, it's a very specific use case, Mustafa, right? So first of all, we built it for the hospital. But in addition, we built cloud-based AI solutions over a period of about two weeks after that. So let's talk, let's call it a month. From start to having an AI-based hospital of the future, it may not have looked futuristic because it was you know, sort of largely built out of containers or modified versions of those sorts of things. But the point is, in terms of technical capability and medical capability, it was light years ahead, right? It was providing AI-based um, information to doctors in record time. And the only way we can do that, to come to your question, Kelsey, is by connecting everyone. So 
What do the consumers get? I'll just come back to consumers that move across the B2B business, but I'm a consumer in China and I was getting an average speed of maybe 30 to 50 megabits per second. In March, I can still remember the day when I thought, my phone seems to be faster. Even for sending SMSs, you know, the old-fashioned SMS, my mum doesn't, you know, use things in Australia. They're very sophisticated. So even an SMS was going at lightning. You know, I just press it, it's gone. Not sending, sending, sending. Then I realised, because I had a 5G phone, that China Unicom had actually connected me and moved me across to 5G without even telling me. I was getting 290 megabits per second every single day, every single day. So what was happening? My experience was terrific for any content. You know, 50 meg file finished in a couple of seconds, you know, one second perhaps. Um, video, absolute clarity. I don't play games on my phone, so I can't really tell you about the latency and things like that. But the important thing to think about is that they did it without charging me more. And their business model is Paul doesn't churn. Paul consumes his data package more quickly and pays more. But we didn't charge him more for the experience. So if I kind of look at this and we'll go back to your your points about, uh, you know, lower energy use related to 5G, efficiency, lower costs for the telecoms companies. And then I think back to, you know, the early 90s when we had the World Wide Web and there was a lot of, a lot of excitement about what that technology could do for us. And now we fast forward to 2020 and there's a lot of buyer's remorse, you know, regarding the size of Google, the size of Facebook, how big tech has come to dominate everything and own the data. So I can understand why there's, there is such a fierce debate around this new era of 5G technology and who will control it. And at the moment, it seems as if Huawei, because of the vacuum left by other companies, it's not because, you know, Huawei necessarily set out to be the number one, but circumstances have put you there. And so if you're in the lead on this, I can understand why there is a huge debate about whether one company should dominate or not. Do you think that to a certain extent, it is our, you know, we, we are not as naive as we were 25 years ago about technology, and that has made us a little bit more wary about opening ourselves up to the benefits, and particularly where right now the benefits outside of China are not immediately obvious to the consumer but are more in the background for, for businesses and corporations. I mean, obviously I wear a Huawei hat, so let me put it in a slightly different way. We spend at least 10 in last year, 15% of our, of our revenue so it's 15 to $20 billion, Mustafa, on R&D. We spend more on R&D than the sum of all our competitors. And we have been doing that for years. And where do we spend our money? We spend our money in a couple of areas. We spend our money on intrinsic IP. So that's material science. Let, let me give you an example. I can still remember the meeting we were having. Uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a, you know, a sales and other meeting in, in headquarters with my CEO, CEO for the carrier business group, that one that makes, you know, $50 billion, right? And we were looking at the first generation prototype about, you know, we are considering it becoming general availability of the first version of the 5G base station. Mustafa, it was 45 kilos, 45. We say, okay, what does that mean? Can you imagine my CEO tapped the table and said, 
don't you understand occupational health and safety in Europe? 40 kilos is the maximum allowed. You need a crane to do the installation. Do you know how expensive it'll be to our customers to install 5G? Within a month, our product was 40 kilos. One year later, that was that was a year ago, okay? Can you imagine just in January this year, I'm in London and we're launching our version two, second generation of the base station 5G Genode B. And it's 25 kilos. So I asked the R&D guy, I said, to see if he understood. I said, why is it 25 kilos? Why did you make it 25 kilos? And he said, Mr. Paul, because 25 kilos means only one person has to go to the site to install it and our customer saves money on installation. 25 kilos. Okay? So if I may politely correct you is we didn't by accident become number one. We've been focusing on two key things. We've been focusing on the operator's operating problem. And the second one is customer experience. We have the widest product broadband in terms of how many megahertz it can cover and the performance. I mean, why do we have 60% of all networks around the world and probably more if we didn't have the geopolitical issue? Not because we're cheap. It has nothing to do with that. It's because the quality. So we invested in material science to try and get the product weight down. That's why I'm saying where do we invest our R&D in power management in material science, in these sort of you know, things that affect the customer. That's the first point I want to make. That, that's how we get to become, you know, number one. You also mentioned a question about, you know, technology wary. I've just been talking um, just recently about, you know, the fear of technology. And if you cast your mind back a little bit longer than you and I, but back to the days when, you know, there was no electricity, back to the 1826, if I'm not mistaken, when, you know, a bunch of protesters in Northern England started protesting against 21 um, cotton mills or, or uh, you know, production. No, it was a mill of some form because they're worried about their livelihood. And these guys are called Luddites. That was the name given to them back, you know, 150 years ago, 200 years ago almost. So that name continues today, right? What is a Luddite? A person who either doesn't understand or doesn't accept technology. But let's move forward from industrial revolution to electricity to nuclear power. We, we, we fear all those things we don't know until we suddenly see a benefit from it. And I think that's the direction that we want to sort of talk to. How does 5G benefit us? I've just told you for the operator, but for the industry, absolutely it's transformative. And I think that's one of the reasons why we have a combination of the, the geopolitical issues uh, coming towards Huawei and to China. I mean, look, I, I appreciate that. And the fact of the matter is, is that you are the expert when it comes to technology. But certainly outside of China, the mood, I, mean, I only say outside of China because you know China better than me, but the mood is, is there is there is skepticism in the air. And, and you can talk about Luddites and we can talk about, um, you know, conspiracy theorists on, on, on this, you know, the far end of the spectrum. But there are a lot of people who see at the moment what's happening in terms of, like I said, the big tech companies and their dominance and the lack of control, that to a certain extent, yes, Huawei is the number one, the reasons that you explained. But at the same time, there is a lack of appetite now to allow any company perhaps to, to dominate any technology. You know, maybe it's too late for, the, for other things, but certainly for this. And in that scenario, if I throw in, for example, that open source um, tech, they call it Open RAN 
that Huawei works on and other companies work on, um, is, is that not a better path forward where it, 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 it's a little bit more democratic if I, if I choose that word, but it, maybe it's not the right word? No, no, no. I, I do understand what you're, what you're trying, to, trying to present. So um, there, there's actually two, two components to that, but you're right. We don't tend to promote enough about um, the use cases, you know, the benefits to society of 5G. And I think, you know, the, what I could say is, you know, a lot of innovation still happens in Silicon Valley. Okay. Yeah, absolutely it does. But the way innovation is done or taken to market in Silicon Valley is largely let's IPO the company, you know, seed, seed capital money and off we go. And, you know, you, you understand the business model. But in China, in example, in my backyard in China, in Shenzhen, if you've got an idea, I can have a prototype. You know, I can go to one guy and how much is it going to cost? Take you four weeks and cost you $1,000. Okay, go to the guy next door. Cost you $500 in two weeks. You know, you just keep going down. Yeah, I'll have it to you tomorrow if you give me the cash now, you know, sort of thing. Yeah? We've got so much capability to prototype and take it to market. So what China has been doing, and it's not just China, I would say it's, because um, I've been living in Asia for about 20 years, I would say it's the Asian mentality and thinking but certainly it's you know being led by china and it's this ability to try things quickly you know when i go to to europe i meet with telecom company paul when we're ready we'll tell you what you want what we want okay but in in china and in asia we work together with the end customer and the telecom operator and we as we say in china you know cook the soup right to try and make figure out how to make the business deal work for everybody but in Europe, it's no, no, I'll tell you what I want when I'm ready. And we certainly won't have you as our partner to do those things. All right. So difference in thinking, okay? The, the, the idea is different. But in Asia, it's and in, and not just Asia, Middle East, Africa, Latin America, there's a sense of urgency. How do we leapfrog? How do we go and not have the problems that we have in the West? You know, I'm Australian, right? So, you know, we have these challenges in in, the West, in Western society where, you know, it's five o'clock, let's go for a beer or it's time to finish work. We won't do that in Asia. We'll just keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, because that's the way we think. Okay, so j just a little bit of, um, you know, difference between how East and West thinks, if I, can, if I can put it that way. Some of the more interesting ways that we're doing things, for example, we've been promoting a concept called fixed wireless access for at least six years that I can remember in Huawei. We called it WTTX, so wireless to the something, because you know there's fiber to the home, fiber to the curb, fiber to the building, so FTTX. We branded it WTTX. And we were using Mustafa, we were using uh, 2.3, 2.5, 2.6, and 3.5 gigahertz then, since you know five, six years ago, we were using the old WiMAX spectrum. And we were provide, we were demonstrating use cases using massive MIMO back then. So for five or six years, we had the concept of delivering the equivalent of fiber, fiber-like services to the home. It's like a cash and carry. You go to the supermarket, Walmart, you buy your box, you go home, you plug it in and you've got 100 or 200 or 500 megabits per second, not wait one year, two years, three years, or in some Asian countries, five or 10 years, or in Africa, for example, for fiber connection. So we pioneered that years ago. We understood the business model. And that's why, you know, coming to what's the first, other than the telecom operator's perspective, what's the first benefit that a user can get? 
is providing near-fibre-like performance almost instantly. And in fact, in Middle East, I think we've done about 1,200 SMEs already where we've connected them with 5G-based very high-speed services ranging from 100 up to almost a gig. So you've been at Huawei for over a decade. I mean, to your point, you've been iterating and innovating for a long time, and you've been there long before of Trump administration, and you'll likely be there you know, long after. So what have the last four years been like for you, and do you anticipate any changes under a new administration? Yeah, it's been tough, right? Um, obviously, I'm not going to say anything against what the corporate boys have said, but you know, Mr. Guoping just recently, one of our rotating uh, CEOs, uh, has said that it certainly presented a lot of challenges to us. You know, if you if you just consider the entire supply chain, uh, supply chain management, you know, we we didn't perhaps the U.S. administration didn't realize, but you know, we've been doing supply chain management for mm, let's see. 2008, since 2008, our customers taught us that. Our customers said, you've got a great product, Huawei, but what's the product roadmap? And have you thought about alternative suppliers of of different components and alternative transport and alternative currencies and alternative installation crews? They taught us about business continuity management. They taught us about supply chain. So, you know, we didn't start yesterday or the day after somebody put sanctions on us. That, That just didn't happen. Now, Obviously, these are very extensive, very deep, and they cause us a lot of a lot of challenges. And you've heard a number of our executives say, you know, we, we perhaps don't have chips for this and chips for that. Largely, we had a plan and our customers, you know, the proof is in the pudding, place your order and we'll, we'll deliver. And we have been able to deliver. The most important thing, I think, that what was not understood was that collaboration is far more important than isolation. We can only collaborate if we trust the systems that we're on. And this tech-based fear that we have that's so prevalent in this, this moment, when you think about information security at Huawei, when we think about 5G in particular, is there a tech-based way of proving information security? Are you innovating a way out of all of this doubt? How can you prove that Huawei 5G is secure? So you've hit on the key component, which is trust. So when I go around promoting not just Huawei, but also about 5G use cases, I really only talk about three or four things, and that's educate, collaborate, and trust. And sometimes I throw in incubate, but let's talk about educate. Where does all, or where do all the, where does all the information come from that suggests Huawei has backdoors? Where does it come from? Where does it suggest that Huawei is a security? Where does it, you know, where, where, where does it come from? It pretty much comes from one source. Yes, one source. Now, we have offered that source for 10 years to inspect our code, and it's been denied, been denied, not interested. I actually chair a program in Huawei on on an advisory committee where we actually do try to take comments from industry and from our customers relating to cybersecurity and resilience in our software and better architecture and open source code management, all those things that the oversight board in the UK mentioned, we take them seriously. We take them just like a customer says, you need to fix this, you need to improve that, you need to do this. We did all that. But what did the oversight board say? It said quite clearly, somewhere in the middle, no state intervention. That means there's no back door. Next, please. Now, why would everybody be targeting Huawei? We do things differently. We're not a public listed company. We're a private company. We make $122 billion. And you don't have to take my word for it. Go and ask our customers. 
the majority of customers in the Middle East love Huawei. Why? We've already answered that question. We improve their bottom line. We improve their customers' customer. So what are we doing? We're, we're promoting actively a concept where let's have independent audit and certification. You want a, a product from any vendor. It's Huawei, Ericsson, Zetia, or Nokia. It doesn't matter. Cisco, it doesn't matter. You want to use that product in your country? There's a certification body. There's an authorizing body. There's a test laboratory. They'll test everything. If it passes all the tests, then it can be certified and it's validated and used. So we have been promoting a campaign, trying to be a, have a campaign of openness, transparency. We, we invite customers, regulators. We invite uh, industry experts to come and look at our products, inspect them. We have programs with different governments to show them what's inside our, our products and our code so they can be satisfied that we do these things. But you don't see that promoted in the media, do you? Paul, we're going to have to leave it there. Paul Scanlon, Huawei's Chief Technology Officer at its Carrier Business Group. Thank you so much for explaining 5G, and uh, we look forward to, to talking again. Thank you very much, uh, Mustafa, and thank you very much, Kelsey. Sorry if I talk too much, but, you know, I'm a passionate guy about 5G. Uh, Kelsey Warner, the National's Future Editor, thanks for being with us again today. Thank you. Before we finish, here are some of the other stories at thenationalnews.com. Bahrain listed private equity and alternative asset manager Investcor said it sold eight multifamily properties in the US for more than $900 million. Britain's unemployment rate rose to 4.8% in the three months to September, the highest level since 2016 as the coronavirus pandemic saw employers cut more jobs. And the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company will explore the potential of new fuels such as hydrogen as it moves to reduce its carbon intensity over the next decade. Thanks for being with us today. All that remains to thank our production team, Aisha Khan and Arthur Edison, and you all for listening. Please do join us again next time.